Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart in me, O God. Put a new, faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways, and sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from violence, God, God of my salvation, so that my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will proclaim your praise. You don't want sacrifices. If I gave an entirely burned offering, you wouldn't be pleased. A broken spirit is my sacrifice, God. You won't despise a heart, God, that is broken and crushed. Do good things for Zion by your favor. Rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Then you will want again sacrifices of righteousness, entirely burned offerings and complete offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Marilyn. As a quick word of introduction for our guests this morning, we are in a Lenten series titled Weeping to Dancing the Laments. And we have taken a journey through several of the psalms that are called lament psalms. They are people who have weeped in this moment about various things that have transpired in their lives. And hopefully they have been a reflection of some of our own lives. We know that the world has a tendency to reward in some ways. We also know that the world has a tendency to wound in other ways. And so many of us carry those wounds around and they keep us in that place where we weep more than we dance in our lives. They are things that are visible. They are things that are very invisible to those that are around us. They are dark clouds that seem to be overhead or deep waters that we're trying to tread. They could even come in the form of very dense walls that separate us from one another or separate us from God. This week we think of it from the aspect of confession. What is centered within us? I think today's a great opportunity for each and every one of us maybe to realize and in that realization also confess that our demands of ourselves and even those around us don't often align with God and God's understanding of who we are. That our demands can be a prison for ourselves. They can be a prison for those that are around us and so often that prison causes us to weep. It's not a place where we dance. But there's something in the realm of humanity and God that transforms that. And it is the God of grace. That grace that is of God that comes to heal this gap and that can bring us into a new way of living that can deliver us from our weeping so that we can dance in this life. So I'm going to begin this morning with my confession. How many of you thought you were going to come this morning and hear a preacher confess to you? Anybody? That was your expectation for Sunday morning? No? All right. Well, here's my confession to you. 
It's probably something you already know. I am not a well-rounded pastor. How many of you already intuitively knew that, right? Uh, uh, Wow, that hand went up really fast, Dennis. And the more years I spend in pastoral ministry, the more and more I understand that I probably never will be a well-rounded pastor. I might eat a lot and become a well-rounded human being, but I probably will not become a well-rounded pastor. And here's kind of the idea of this. If you think about it from spiritual gifts inventories, a number of us have taken these over the years, and we know what our spiritual gifts are. I think early on I shared with you my spiritual gifts. I'm a teacher. I'm one who explains, enlightens, and applies biblical truth. I'm an apostle, visionary, pioneering in my approach to ministry, a prophet, one who is listening for God to speak and foretelling how God is utilizing a group of people or calling us to something, an evangelist, one who is about sharing the good news of what God has in mind for all people in the world, and I'm good at administration. For those of you who know the long list of spiritual gifts, what's missing? Quite a few things, right? Like compassion and mercy and many of the other gifts that are on there as well. Those are not gifts God has given to me to be able to utilize within this community of faith. And as much as I think I could probably work at some of these things, if God hasn't gifted me with them, I'm not real sure how I'm going to develop them on my own. But I could probably try that and we'll see how it goes. Ultimately, what I've concluded is, is I'm not a very well-rounded person and a pastor and I probably never will be as much as I want to try. Now, you're probably curious as to how I came to this conclusion. And if you're not really curious, I'm going to tell you anyway, all right? So, there, one of the many books that I have on my, on my shelf is a book written by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Sample. Anybody know who Stephen Sample is? Nobody? Oh, good. This is going to be news to all of you. Stephen Sample wrote a book called The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership, and in his book, among the hundred books or so that I have on leadership on my shelves, in his book he says there is no such thing as a well-rounded person. Our culture lives in this love affair of a fallacy called the well-rounded person. And he gave one particular example that supports this. It is called the performance evaluation. (laughs) Right? Those of you who operate in organizations with performance evaluations, you are usually rated on your strengths, right? So name the three or five strengths that you have. And then the next category are your, or if you're politically correct, areas of opportunity or growth, (laughs) right? And in that, at the end of your performance evaluation, you create goals for the coming year, and usually what areas are they in? Opportunities. Your areas for growth is where we settle in on because we believe that there is such a thing as the well-rounded person. Right? He says that's nutty. It is a fallacy 
that we live into and try to purport upon one another. Now, you may question, what gives Sample the kind of authority to be able to to voice this? Why would anybody want to listen to someone that is so countercultural to the world around us and how so many of us live and the organizations in which we live and breathe, right? Here's a little bit of his resume, just in case you're interested. Stephen Sample was given a scholarship as a young man to the University of Indiana where he earned a bachelor's in science, a master's in science, and a Ph.D. in electrical engineering. He spent his career in the world of his electrical engineering field as a patent holder creator and as an academic. He was the uh, leader or the president of two separate universities, He was the former president of the University of Buffalo from the early 1980s to the early 1990s. And then he went to this small little California college called the University of Southern California. And he was the president there from 1999 to 2010. He is the author of numerous journal articles, as you would expect. He has published papers in science, engineering, and higher education. He holds patents for a couple of things that you benefit from but don't even know of. He holds one patent in the electronic timer that is in every single modern appliance that we use. Turn a timer, Stephen Sample gets paid for that, right? Because he holds the patent on it. The other thing that he invented is the touchpad that's on all of our modern microwave ovens. He invented the touchpad that's on there. He holds those patents as well as a number of others. But more importantly are his academic successes. Sample taught in the academic environment. He had a passion for teaching. He taught several classes to students at USC's in all levels and across various disciplines. But the most recent one that he taught was a class called The Art and the Adventure of Leadership with some guy named Warren Bennis. Any of you ever heard of Warren Bennis? No? Well, here's the interesting thing about Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis is the founder, kind of the the center behind what we can understand as organizational behavior and leadership. In the 1960s, he started the discipline of looking at how organizations behave. And now he teaches as well at the University of Southern California. He is a scholar, organizational consultant, author, and pioneer in contemporary leadership and all the studies that go around it. So these two guys, these two powerhouses, taught a class in this. They are students of, and they are masters of, leadership and leadership studies. So he used his own learnings to try to be a a test scenario for him and how these contrary ideas to leadership would work. He did this at the University of Southern California, and his book became his surmises from that. Because for sample, there is no such thing as a well-rounded person. Only well-rounded teams. For him, this notion is is that you build a team where everybody's strengths complement one another. When I think about the church environment, the world where I have the opportunity to form and to shape, I look at this as a well-rounded team, our opportunity to complement one another. I am thankful for Denny who has the gifts of compassion and mercy 
and her shepherds who also have those gifts, who can complement this team to meet the needs of a community of faith. I am so thankful for Allie and her gifts with children and youth and what she brings along with many of you to serve the younger generation of our community of faith and to nurture them as well in their faith. I'm thankful for Dale and for his leadership in worship and his creativity and all that he brings to this community of faith along with the choir and many others who participate in that because I wouldn't dare... Try to figure out how to lead you in worship on a Sunday morning when it comes to singing. It's not my bailiwick. Or for Jessica, someone who has great administrative gifts, does ministerial support to the best of her ability and all that those around her that serve in that. I believe what we have is a well-rounded team. Which brings me to part B of my confession. I can find myself weeping so often. I can find myself just kind of lamenting the fact that I am not a well-rounded person. And because of that, I find myself so often falling short, feeling inadequate of some of the expectations of what it means to be a pastor. For any of you who are interested, there's a little document out that I, that I have. It's called The Expectations of Pastoral Leadership. It's a reference for pastors and staff parish committees. This is the document that comes from the Illinois Great Rivers Conference. It's only 20 pages in length. So if you want some light reading, let me know. I'll let you borrow it, right? But you just look at the list and you think, how does anybody try to figure out how to thrive in this kind of long list of expectations? I struggle with that, to be honest with you. And, and that's kind of mixed with a couple of things. Many of you know I am the oldest of five kids, right? I have four siblings that are all younger than me. What I haven't told you is my parents both worked outside of the home. So guess who was responsible most of the time while my parents were at work? Right? I had a lot of responsibility. I had an awful lot of accountability. I had zero power and authority. I could not affect change when it came to my siblings or to get them to do anything. And yet I have a people-pleasing personality and I found myself caught as a kid in the conundrum of those two things. Wanting to please my parents but not being able to affect change with my siblings. And that's so often the same. Is That people-pleaser personality never went away. It's still there. And that's the same way with you as a community of faith. I can find myself wanting to please everybody and yet incapable of doing it consistently across the board because I'm not a well-rounded pastor and probably never will be. Now, you might be right there with me when you think about various aspects of your own life. You might be trapped by some of these expectations of yourself or some of the expectations that someone has kind of heaped upon you. And because of that, there's a level of guilt or shame. There's a level of embarrassment or inadequacy with which you live. And it keeps you weeping because you can't meet those kinds of expectations. Maybe today is kind of the day where all of us need something fresh. Not only a moment of confession, but to understand that there is forgiveness today as well. When you think about Psalm 51, as Marilyn read the psalm for us, yes, there is a level of understanding that this is David's own weeping, his own confession. It is one of the seven penitential psalms that are read during the height of the Lenten season. 
It's a psalm about sin and the lamenting over sin, about a person who feels inadequate, guilty, who is embarrassed and ashamed of what they have done. And they put pen to paper to describe that. A. Whitney Brown once said of human history that any good history book mainly has a long list of human mistakes complete with names, dates, and events that are attached to it. And when you read them, they are embarrassing. And that's true of a lot of history, if you think about it. It's also kind of true of our own biblical record. Because when you read part of the Bible, there's much of it that's very embarrassing for the characters that are in the storyline, right? You think of all the mistakes of the patriarchs in Israel that fill the pages of the Hebrew Bible. Yes, David and his own story, his personal embarrassment over his inadequacies and his failings. The story of the disciples who follow Jesus and yet so often stumble in their understanding of who he is or in their own following of his examples. The letters of Paul are addressed to communities of faith and they're usually designed to correct behavior or teaching. Think about the history of Christianity itself. Since the apostolic fathers to today, all that has transpired in Christian history, not all of it has been a bright, glowing witness of God's work in the world. We've had moments where even we have been an embarrassment. Events with names and dates and places attached to it. And our guilt, our shame, our inadequacies, our embarrassment... They become powerful in our lives, but I'm here to tell you this morning, they are not the most powerful thing in our world. There's something greater than our own guilt and shame and embarrassment. One of the Bible commentators says that actually there's an opportunity for us to re-envision Psalm 51 from a confession to also a new realization of who God is and how God operates in the world, but more importantly, how God operates in every single one of our lives. To realize that we do not have to be oppressed by our inadequacies, our embarrassment, our guilt, our shame. Instead, that we can let God's grace rule in our own lives and in our hearts. That we can let God's grace liberate us from these things to move us from weeping to dancing. I think of the hymn that says these words. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my... What's the last word, folks? Sin. Right? The grace of God that is greater than than all of these things. The psalmist confesses that he does not live in the reality of the power of God's grace. That is his confession. The psalmist proclaims that the grace of God is available. It is the ultimate power. It is supreme in the world around us. If we would simply live into it, it could have a new power in our own lives as well. But have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten what it means to live in the light of God's love that forgives us of these things and empowers us to forgive ourselves as well or to forgive someone else around us? 
Or do we continue to just simply live within these moments of shame and embarrassment and inadequacy? I wonder where you find yourself today in this conversation. Do you find yourself in that trap where confession is not part of who you are, rather than it is the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment? I wonder how many of us today are lamenting over something regarding our health and circumstances around our health. I had a chance to visit with one of our parishioners this week, and in that there was a time of prayer and anointing with oil. There's a small little service in our, in our book of worship that's titled a healing service, and in it it asks a couple of questions of the participant, and one of the questions is something like this. Is there anything between you and God that keeps you from being at peace? That causes you to be restless, especially around your health? There may be some of us today that are wrestling with that ourselves. And because of these health concerns, we are not at peace with God. You might lament over a financial decision that you made a while back and it just kind of continues to haunt you and you find yourself living from penny to penny, paycheck to paycheck and the stress and the strain of trying to figure out how to make it over the next few days. When I was in the service uh, as a young airman, one of the great things that Domino's provided us was a buy your pizza today and we'll cash your check a few days later. I survived off of that for a while. Thank God for dominoes, right? But you think about those that live under the stress and strain of limited finances. Could that keep you lamenting and weeping? Or maybe it's just simply the lament over a relationship that has gone sour for you. Communication has broken down. Feelings have been hurt. Walls have been built up. And forgiveness is just simply a prisoner to your bitterness and your anger. And because of that, you weep over a relationship. I wonder how many of us just simply faked it through the processional this morning. Because when we came in today, our souls were not ready to praise God. We weren't ready to wave a palm. We just barely made it to church today. Because we're weeping over something in our lives. Today's the day for a new realization in your life. In my life. That we can live each and every moment in the power of God's grace that can liberate us from this prison of guilt and embarrassment and shame and inadequacy. And that we can release those around us as well. That God's grace can extend from our lives to the world around us so that all of us might be liberated into the liberty of God's love and grace for all. So as we've journeyed together in this conversation, I hope these are some of the things that you take away from this moment, some of the thoughts that are from today. To be reminded that not any of us are are well-rounded people, not just your pastor, none of us are well-rounded people, and we can be okay with that. That God frees us to live in the light and the knowledge That God's love and grace is greater than our guilt, our shame, our embarrassment, and our inadequacies. And that when we live in God's grace, when we let it reign and rule in our hearts and in our lives, it can transform our own world, but it can transform the world of those that are around us as well. It can move us from weeping to dancing. So here's your invitation for this morning. A couple of things to think about. 
Maybe today's the day where you need to come and just experience this liberating grace of God. That you expect way too much of yourself. And you maybe even think that God expects way too much of you. But today you can lay aside your guilt and your shame or your embarrassment or your feeling inadequate in this moment. And to know that God can close the gap of those things, can cover them with His grace and His forgiveness. The invitation is for you to experience that today in a moment of prayer. Or maybe today you need to simply extend that kind of grace to others around you. Your expectations of them have been a little bit too high, probably higher even than God's own standards. And how do you let those fall away so that grace might exude from your heart and your life to those around you? So that all of us might ultimately find ourselves dancing together. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? So God of grace and of mercy, the one who is the great inviter to this dance that is in your love and your life, we come in this moment and we ask, O oh God, that you peel away the darkness that is over us, that you hear our confession that so often we have used these things as our own walls and hindrances. We pray, O oh God, that you might overcome them today. And as you dispel our own guilt and shame, our embarrassment, our feelings of inadequacy, Lord, help us to know in the fullness of your grace that we are your loved children. And that from that we can be freed. Freed from the prison and the weeping. Freed to live a life that is in your love and your light and that shares your grace with the world. We are thankful for your invitation and for this day where we can come and confess and live in that new realization. All these things we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to come at this time for our morning offering. And as they come today, I want to say to each and every one of you, thank you so much for your very generous and your loving gifts.